to Genesis 1. So as Jackie said in her foreword, when we think about the gospel, we often focus on the climax of the gospel. We focus on the sinless life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this isn't bad. The life and death and resurrection of Jesus is the most important event in human history. It happened 2,000 years ago, and it is still affecting people's lives, millions of people's lives every day. It's worthy of our focus. However, we need to not forget the greater story, the greater context that the climax happens in. So what I want for us to do today is zoom out and take a look at that context. And we're going to see a few things. We're going to see more of what God is doing. We're going to see how much more valuable the gospel really is for us and our lives. We're going to see our own smaller stories and how they are impacted and defined by the gospel. And we will see the greater true story um, of God. So that is, what, that is what I want us to do this morning, to zoom out. We are going to summarize the true story of God in a few parts. We're going to summarize it in creation. We're going to summarize it in the fall, redemption, and new creation. So let's jump into Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So this is how it all began with God. God existed perfectly in the community of the Trinity. Then with only his word, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything on the earth. And then he created man. Let's scroll down just a little bit. Scroll. Am I on a device? No. Uh, Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Jump down just a little bit to verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And then of course, we know on the seventh day, God rests. So God created Adam and Eve. He, to, he defined their value, calling them very good. He defined their purpose, giving them dominion over the earth, giving them charge over it to rule it, showing creation what God was like. And he not only brought them to life, but he sustained them with the garden, the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve had perfect relationship with God. They had perfect relationship with each other. They had value. They had purpose. They had contentment. And then God rested on the seventh day. Why? Because his work was finished. It was complete. It was whole. He didn't need any more work. His work was sufficient. God's word is true, God's work is sufficient, 
and nothing else needed to be done at this point. Why is this important? Because if everything came into existence through the word of God, then God's word and work are to be completely trusted and depended upon. We have our very existence through his word and work. Adam and Eve were created in a perfect world, but things were about to change. Go over a couple pages. Genesis 3. Mine was only one page. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, sin often looks delicious and appealing, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Adam and Eve did not believe. They didn't trust God's word and work. The problem was unbelief. The action was sin and the result was going to be death. The serpent, the devil, convinced Eve that God's word was a lie. You will not surely die, he says. The serpent convinced the woman that God's work was not adequate. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. God called Adam and Eve very good. Satan called Adam and Eve not good enough. He convinced them they needed to reach higher and be like God. And then Adam and Eve believed Satan, turning from God. Adam and Eve in that moment rebelled against God, turning away from the Father for their value, purpose, and contentment, and turned to something else. They turned to the word of Satan and the work of themselves. 
In that moment, Adam and Eve gave up their God-given authority over the world to Satan. God had given them dominion over the earth. God had given them control. God had given them the opportunity to rule and to show how God was to creation. And then they voluntarily gave that authority to Satan by listening to him, by obeying him. The result was death. First, when they rebelled against God, Adam and Eve died spiritually. They rebelled and were separated from the giver and sustainer of life, the definer of their value, the provider of their purpose, and the source of their contentment. This led to immediate shame and guilt and fear. They ran to cover themselves and to hide. Second, they died relationally. Our relationship with God affects every other relationship. Before they rebelled, Adam and Eve lived together harmoniously. After the fall, they immediately turned on each other, tried to blame one another, tried to blame God for their sin. They knew that there was going to need payment for their sin. Third, physical death. Their sin must be paid for. A just and holy God requires payment for sin. If God had allowed Adam and Eve to pay for their own sin right then, humanity would have been done. That would have been the end of the story. The Bible would be Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, the end. But instead, showing mercy, God postponed their physical death and he provided a partial payment. Genesis three twenty one says, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Garments of skins. God provided a partial payment through the sacrifice of an animal. And he would provide a full and complete payment later through his son, Jesus Christ. For the wages of sin is death. Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Spiritual, relational, and physical. That is because rebellion against God is rebellion against the giver of life. And this rebellion continues because we continue to not believe. We do not believe the trustworthiness of God's word and the sufficiency of God's work for us, for our lives, for today. Even as God is telling Adam and Eve the effects their rebellion will have on them, he assures them, though, he assures them that he will put an end to this rebellion that the serpent has started. In Genesis 3.15, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. An offspring of Eve would eventually crush the head of Satan, Jesus. God would have the final word. God's word is true and his work is sufficient. So now redemption. As the true story of God progresses, things go from bad to way worse. Humanity continues to pursue the rebellion of Satan. Satan, uh, believing God is the liar and pursuing our own work to to define our value, purpose, contentment, trying to be like God. But God continues to use people to show that he has an ultimate redemption plan coming. God called a man named Abram out of his ungodly culture to show both him and the world what he was truly like. 
God changed his name to Abraham, which means father of many nations. God would do great work through Abraham, bringing forth a nation from his offspring, the nation of Israel. Israel grows into a large nation while living in Egypt. And eventually, they are enslaved to the Pharaoh there. For 400 years, they are a slave, or a couple million. Eventually, a man named Moses would be called by God to lead the nation of Israel out of their slavery to Egypt. Moses only had to believe God's word. God was the one who did all the miracles and all the work to pull them out of Egypt. The nation was freed from slavery, a picture of our future freedom from the slavery to sin. So then the nation of Israel is then brought to the promised land where they were supposed to rest. They were supposed to trust God and live at him in peace. They were to be a visible example to the other nations of what God was like. He continued to call his people to trust him, trust his word, obey him based on what he has already done for them. But Israel, time and time again, forgot, did not believe, and would fall back into sin and slavery to the other nations around them. Israel failed, but God did not fail. Neither did his plan to bring ultimate redemption from sin. Jesus Christ was that ultimate redemption. Jesus was to be the true and better Adam, the true and better Abraham, the true and better Moses, the true and better Israel. God's full and final redemption to rescue mankind from slavery to sin and Satan came in the form of a baby. Jesus was born to a virgin, not inheriting the sin nature of Adam. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, fully trusting and obeying God's word. Even though most everyone around him believed Jesus was going to overthrow the suppressive Roman Empire, he had higher goals. He was going to overthrow the suppressive slavery to sin and Satan. Jesus voluntarily went to the cross, taking all of our sin and shame with him. He died, he was placed in the tomb, and was raised three days later, overcoming death, proving that he had the power and authority to remove our guilt and shame forever. Jesus was raised back to life and promised us the same new life if we trust him, if we believe his word, if we believe his work was sufficient. Titus 2.14 says, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus died to save our souls. Jesus died to prevent us from having eternal separation from God which is what Adam and Eve chose when they chose rebellion and they chose separation from the giver of life. Jesus died to save our souls and to purify us for good works now. New creation. Jesus was raised with a new glorified body. He had overcome sin, Satan, and death and now had been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He rightfully took back the authority that Satan had stolen 
from Adam and Eve. When we realize our rebellion, when you realize your rebellion, when we turn to God and believe his word is true and believe his work through his son on the cross is sufficient to pay for all of our sin, all of it, and all of our shame and all of our guilt, we are made new. We are born again. But this time, we are not born with a sin nature under Adam. We are born with the Spirit under Jesus Christ, the new and better Adam. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jesus is our new life source, our new authority. We have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness and Satan to the kingdom of light with Jesus as our Lord. We go from being enemies of God to sons and daughters. We go from powerless to overcome sin to mightily empowered by the spirit to defeat sin. And this is not a New Testament only idea. Ezekiel was written 600 years before the cross of Christ. And Ezekiel 11, 19 and 20 says, And I will give them one heart and a new spirit. I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. It's been God's plan from the beginning to make us new, to give us a heart, that wants to chase after him. See, before we were saved, we are filthy, sin-saturated, spiritually dead, enemies of God, nothing good in us, nothing at all, even if we wanted to. I'm going to back up. We don't want to, and there's no ability for us to want to go after God before we're saved. But then, because of the work of God through Jesus Christ, we are made completely new. We become beloved and accepted righteous children of God. No matter what we do, he loves us. No matter how we fail, it's paid for. No matter the mistakes we have made, they're gone in God's eyes. Today, they are gone. Today, I'm accepted. Today, my mistakes are paid for. I no longer have to chase righteousness. I am new. I will stay new forever. The only work I have to do is believe God's word. The only work I have to do is believe God's work is sufficient. What he has already done for me. What he's already done for you. Believe that his payment for my sin was beyond good enough. Jesus' disciples ask him, what is the work of God? And Jesus answered in John chapter 6, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So if the power of salvation, if it was only to change our eternal consequences for sin, if that's all it was, it would be, it would be amazing. It would be wonderful. But that's not the whole picture. That's, not, that's simply not the only idea God had and what he wanted to accomplish with salvation. God has always planned for his salvation to be past, present, 
and future. God has cleansed us from all past sin. God has saved us from the future, future timeline this way, future consequences of sin. And God wants to give us a heart of flesh that believe his word and his work. And just as he has done for the past and future sin, he does the work to free us from present sin. He does the work to free us from present sin. It's not us trying to be more righteous. Anybody here been successful at that? Maybe I'll give it one more day. I can do it tomorrow. (laughs) Belief in the gospel is not a one-time decision or expression of faith to cover costs, to cover past sin and provide future heaven. Belief in the gospel is an ongoing expression of my own need for Jesus for your ongoing need for Jesus. So what does faith have to do with it? Why do I have to believe? If we are already saved and made righteous in the eyes of God through grace, then what role do I have to what role do I have? Belief and trust, our job is to recognize the completeness of God's word and the sufficiency of God's work in our everyday struggles. Let me give you an example. I have, a good name. I have a good friend named Chris. And Chris and I have worked together for a long time, past tense, at Longview Ranch. And uh, Chris is an amazing guy. He's a generation ahead of me. He's believed and followed Jesus longer than I have been alive. And working summer camp at Longview Ranch just brings stress. It brings anxiety. Um, it's a high-stress job. That's okay. I loved it. But... I rarely saw Chris stressed. Why was he not stressed? It's because he believed God. It's because he was convinced that his value was from God, that his value did not come from accomplishing every small detail of the summer camp program with precision, which oftentimes that, were, that was where I was looking for value. Chris understood His purpose was from God. His purpose was to point kids to Jesus, which he did with every conversation he had with every kid. I would sometimes, uh, my purpose would get a little distracted as I tried to make everyone happy. I thought that would be a good purpose. Chris believed God would do amazing things with or without him. He didn't have to stress. I sometimes believed it relied on me to get the list done for God to work amazing things. Chris was in good practice of believing God's words were true and his work was sufficient. Chris understood the gospel gives him peace today and gives him peace now. So how do we know if we're believing God or not? I get it. I got to believe. What do I do? First, you have to know God's word. You can't believe the truth if you don't know the truth. You've got to know God's word. And so you're here this morning. That's a great start. The next step in habits for believers is praying and studying your Bible. That's a a good next step. You've got to know God's word to be able to know the truth in order to believe it. He 
Here's a good test in the moment to see if you are relying on God's word and work or if you're relying on your own. Look at the story of Adam and Eve. Look at what they had under God and look at what they had under themselves. Man's work produces anxiety, fear, shame, the urge to hide, the urge to blame. It ruins our relationships and so on. God's work produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, a sense of value and purpose. Now, of course, we live in a fallen world. There's just bad situations. There's stuff that we've got to deal with. So no matter how perfect we are at believing God, there's going to be some blue days. But the principles don't change. The principles don't change, and God's plan of past, present, and future salvation does not change. God's plan of dealing with our past sin, dealing with our current sin, and dealing with our future consequence of sin doesn't change. So ask yourself, what kind of fruit am I seeing in my life and in my situation? Is it man's fruit, or is it God's fruit? If it's man's fruit, ask yourself, what am I believing that's different than what God says about this. Now that all of Satan's authority over us has been removed, we are positionally where Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. We now have opportunity daily to choose belief, to choose belief in God's word and work. We have opportunity to trust the truth of God's word in our daily lives. We have opportunity to trust the sufficiency of God's work in our lives. We have the opportunity to believe the value God places on us, the purpose he gives us, and to live in the contentment he offers us. He offers us a light burden. He offers us rest. He tells us to rest in what he has accomplished for us through the cross. John 2:20, I'm sorry, John 6:28 and 29. Then they said to Jesus, "What must we do?" to be doing the works of God. And Jesus answered them, this is the word of God. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Here's the work of God for you. Believe him. Here is what salvation offers you. The opportunity to believe him. Here is what you need to do to gain value, purpose, and contentment. Believe him. At the beginning, I asked you if you could answer a question. I asked you if you'd be able to answer, how does the gospel apply to the everyday stuff of life? If we believe that God's word is true and believe that God's work is sufficient, if God can be trusted to take care of our past sin and take care of our future consequences of sin, he can be trusted with our daily struggles. Like when you lay awake at night, full of regret. Believe that God forgives and has restored and can restore. Like when you lose your job or have financial struggles, believe that God truly cares for you. Here is the work of God for you. Believe him. Let me pray for us.
God, sometimes we get so carried away and so busy with what we can accomplish with our lives and with what we can do with our problems and issues and struggles and sin that we forget what you have already done for us and forget what you have already told us. I pray that you would help us to see your truth, help us to learn your truth, help us to understand your purpose for us and understand that the gospel affects us every day, affects every aspect, the gospel that you have redeemed us through Jesus. God, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for what you've done for us, Lord. Amen.